HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. The Big Food Question is sponsored by Pop Menu, which turns first-time guests into regulars for your restaurant. For a limited time, get $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash hrn. This episode is brought to you by Diageo Bar Academy. Learn more at diageobaracademy.com. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. When I was a bar manager, back in the before times, I got a lot of resumes. People would come in, drop them off, ask if we were hiring. Not right now, but you can feel free to leave that with us, I'd say, even if we were, because people can be persistent and I didn't really want to get anybody's hopes up. And sometimes these resumes, they'd have bartending schools on them, like ABC Bartending Academy or the Greater New York School of Professional Bartenders Established 1995, something like that. And every single time I got one of these, a resume with a bartending school on it, it went right in the trash. Hello, and welcome to The Big Food Question, a podcast exploring the most urgent questions from a food industry in crisis. I'm Greg Benson, host of The Speakeasy and Back Bar here on HRN. And today we're asking, why do bartending schools in America suck so bad? And what are some things that we can do to fix them? And since I'm used to hosting a show where we look back in time, let's kick things off with a little bit of history. Bartending has existed since, well, forever. For as long as people have been drinking, pretty much, there have been people who have made, sourced, and poured those beverages into cups in front of people for money. Cocktail bartending, and anything resembling what we would call craft, that's a bit more recent. The word cocktail was first defined in print in 1806, and cocktail bartending wasn't far behind. Cato Alexander, a former slave, opened up a famous tavern on what is now 54th and 2nd in Manhattan in the early decades of the 1800s. Around the same time, another fellow named Orsamus Willard popularized this new component of mixology called ice down in the financial district. But the first cocktail book? That didn't come along until half a century later in 1862. That's when Jerry Thomas, who remains to this day a sort of patron saint figure for all bartenders, published his now famous How to Mix Drinks or The Bon Vivant's Companion. It was a groundbreaking collection of recipes from Thomas's prodigious career behind the bar, and it's still around and widely quoted today. But what do we make of this 50-year gap? Well, bartenders were pretty secretive about their recipes, and the act of putting them out there in a book and just letting people learn them, that was pretty unheard of before Thomas's compendium hit the shelves. 
It was a craft you learned by studying how other people did it, by watching them, by working with them, and learning from their methods before you took the reins yourself. You learn by doing, not from some book. But that was 150 years ago. Bartending education must have come a long way since then, right? I looked around and I was like, well, bartending seems to be so fascinating. And like a lot of millennials, um, I Googled like how to become a bartender. And like you said, there were, there are not that many tools. There weren't that many tools to learn. And there was like a little, like a, a certification training class that my brother and I, uh, signed up for. And he was really nice and he mainly attended to learn, but also to like make sure it was like in a safe place in the evening. Cause we had to take Bart to East Bay. Uh, to take those classes at night. And it was just, you know, a setup with brand bottles and water and food coloring so that we could, you know, color the drinks however we needed to. And I learned that we were basically taught to do a lot of like recipes from like the 80s or 90s, like shooter culture of like drinks and like tasters. Nona Titulauri is a Diageo Bar Academy world-class finalist who lives and works in San Francisco. She's been working behind bars since she was a 21-year-old college student. And like anybody who starts anything new, when she first began bartending, she didn't know what she didn't know. And then I started applying for jobs. And as you know, San Francisco is a really developed uh, restaurant and um, bartending industry or city. And I couldn't find a job anywhere as a bartender because I didn't have the experience. I didn't have knowledge. I was taught at that school that I would never be making Negronis. And then eventually once I started bartending, that's all I was making. Um, and I have this little manual with a crossed out, which is really funny because I still look at it sometimes. I'm like, oh, wow. Um, and then I started applying as a barback. I was like, well, if I can't get a job as a bartender, I'm going to apply to be a barback. That's the typical way to do it. You start at the bottom and you work your way up. That's how I started doing it, and frankly, that's how most other people in the industry learn too. Returning to my resume collecting days for a second, if someone came into my bar looking for a job and they'd bar backed at a place I liked, that resume wound up at the top of the stack. I was like, well, if I can't get a job as a bartender, I'm going to apply to be a barback. And I got hired to work at Hakkasan, um, which was located in downtown San Francisco, the heart of financial district. And I was really open about it. I was like, I have this training, but I really want to learn. This is what I want to do. And I was in a really common situation as a lot of people that enter the industry are usually in or in school or doing something during the day um, that makes them better. Or unless, you know, some people are senior in it because, you know, their family has been in the industry for decades. So, um, yeah, and that's, that's when I started learning on the job. And surprisingly... I realized that there wasn't as much training provided. Um, and part of it was because, you know, I'm in the middle of service and everybody's super busy and the bartenders were like so busy. And it was more of like a corporate environment. So we went through like, a, we had turnaround of staff very frequently because, you know, not everybody is used to like working at a dry bar and like some people want to do shots with their regulars and things like that. But like, we couldn't do that. And you had to wear a uniform and a shirt and a vest. And I realized that I had to find other ways to learn because of like maybe I'd say like 15 bartenders that I worked with within that year that I was barbacking. Maybe there were like two people that actually took the time to like answer some of my questions or like give me homework to like do some research. What was more useful was the, the you know, colored water. This is how you make, uh, you know, sex on the beach class more useful or was the homework you got from the bartenders behind the bar more useful in terms of uh, getting you to where you are now? 
Definitely the homework, but it only extended as such. Um, it was great to learn steps of service and on the spot practical uh, assets of, you know, from, build, from taking an order to building a drink in an efficient way and understanding how some spirits work together and modifiers, you know, Amaro, Vermouth, like all of those. Um, but that was great because, again, I was working at a big corporate bar and I have exposure to all those different brands and I could try them hands on. But really what helped me develop as a bartender um, was joining the United States Bartenders Guild, which I received it as a gift my membership um, from our lead bartender because he saw how eager I was to learn. And I learned about bartending competitions. And I remember, again, millennial me, Googling bartending competitions. Thanks to the gift of a membership in the United States Bartenders Guild, the USBG for short, Nona entered World Class by Diageo Bar Academy and made it all the way to the regional finals, which that year just so happened to be in Hawaii. She remembers how shocked her mother and her brother were when she came home with the news that she was being flown to Honolulu to compete in a real competition for real money with some of the best of the best. So, score one for learning on the job, right? Clearly, if it can get you flown to Oahu, it must be doing something right, right? Well, according to Nona, the system is not without its drawbacks. Drawbacks that can be pretty tough to swallow. I've definitely seen examples where like people were working at a bar and they did not like their managers and they're like, I'm going to compete in this competition. I'm not going to put down that I work here because I don't want them to get credit for my hard work. (laughs) It's real. It's really real. I know. I've heard it too. It happens. I'm not laughing because that's funny, by the way. I'm laughing because that's an uncomfortable truth of our industry. And I respond with laughter to a wide variety of appropriate and inappropriate situations. But I know many, many people who have been reluctant to name drop the bars they work for in professional situations because they don't want people who are disinterested in developing their talents or worse, openly hostile, taking credit for discovering them. And I think um, looking now at the industry post-pandemic, I think it's a big problem because um, I found that a lot of bartenders who were doing quite well, have transitioned to like brand work or some had responsibilities, like financial responsibilities and like had to drift away into some other fields um, for their careers. And now that there is a shortage of quality staff, which again is such a, you know, you can argue about that term and what it means in many ways, but I feel like a lot of the bar owners today are a little picky as far as who they hire, and um, they are afraid of that training aspect. Um, like I have a bunch of friends that have a lot of barista experience, which is another group of people that transition to bartending commonly, uh, who would like to enter the industry, but people are not willing to train them. and. Like, I've been in that situation where I work with people who didn't really care to train me, which I, I get it. People are busy. But I feel like there's so many resources now that people could use. Again, USBG and Diageo has all these um, sessions and like online, you can find these resources and videos and how to's and give them that homework. Say, you know, like when you hire somebody, you say you have to have tip certification. You have to have a food handler certification. Just do the same. Like, I want you to do this class online And a lot of them are free today, too. So you can just go and check it out and give them a little quiz. Um, But people are just not willing to do that. And it breaks my heart because there's just so much potential. Somebody saw potential in me and I I went quite far um, to, you know, be humble about this. And I'm really happy for the experience that I've had and where I am today. 
And I feel like a lot of owners, bar owners and bar managers are overlooking the potential that some people hold. The way we teach bartenders today is clearly not without its flaws. But there had to have been some point in the past when bar education was comprehensive and standardized and applicable, right? Well, as far as I can tell, not really. Even though a number of universities offered bartending courses throughout the 60s and 70s, including Columbia, yes, that Columbia, very few of them seemed truly rigorous. The bottles of food coloring method gained a lot of traction around that time, and while it's easy to turn your nose up at something so uneducational, as Nona points out, there is a good reason for it. I think there's multiple aspects involved. I think one is the cost because, you know, if somebody's practicing drinks and making drinks nonstop, it's like alcohol is expensive. You know, it's it's definitely pricier than beer. Um, that is fair. And food color. Yes. It, yeah. Well, then um, I think it's also licensing issues, depending on what state you are in. If you want to hold alcohol and serve it in some way or just have that much of it, like how how do you work around that? There's a lot of permits. And then the price would go up for that training, you know, because whoever has that school has to know how to provide or like how, how to pay off for all those expenses, right? So if learning on the job is a flawed solution and traditional bartending schools, such as they are, don't really offer much of use to the modern bartender, is there a better way for someone who's new to this industry to learn? The answer might actually be yes. We'll be right back to the big food question after a short break. Restaurants across the country are reopening. And trust me, it's more important than ever to focus on your guests' experience. That's why I recommend Pop Menu. Pop Menu gives restaurant owners the marketing tools to turn new guests into happy regulars. It transforms your restaurant's online presence with patented and dynamic user-friendly menu technology on your own website. So that means no more boring, difficult to update PDF menus. It means you can stay flexible with real-time menu updates, or you can feature a special dish in a matter of seconds. But Pot Menu is more than just an online menu. It's an all-in-one set of digital tools that help strengthen the relationship between you and your customer. Pop Menu enables you to cater your own website to your guests' comfort level, whether they want to order online and get delivery or venture out for safe in-person dining with contactless menus. And with Pop Menu's remarketing tools, you can stop letting those third-party platforms steal the relationships with your guests and stay top of mind. Trust me, if you're a restaurant owner, you need to start using Pop Menu today. And for a limited time, our listeners can get $100 off your first month. Plus, lock in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash hrn. So go now, get $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash hrn. Diageo Bar Academy is a free online resource for hospitality professionals offering resources for bartenders, bar managers, and venue owners. It's got free, again, free training and resources for you and every member of your team, members-only content like e-learnings and downloadable tools, masterclass events with global industry experts, including seven sizzling and sexy summer events starting in June. So stay informed, inspired, and connected to grow your career or business by joining Diageo Bar Academy today. Why wait? Seriously, visit diageobaracademy.com. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. Become a member and sign up for the newsletter today. It is, again, 
totally free, and you will be amazed by everything they have to offer. That's D-I-A-G-E-O-BarAcademy.com. Cheers. Welcome back to The Big Food Question. Today we're asking if there is a better way to teach bartenders and why our industry is so resistive to traditional ways of learning. That's a question that frankly has bothered me for ages, so much so that I put it to Nona directly. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that our industry is so resistive to formal education? Uh, I think it's a, a combination of like old world and new world. And again, and I'm, I don't mean to you know, talk about like age and like things like that. But I think it's more so about the responsibility. Um, like I, like I said, I worked at a corporate bar where there's a big turnaround of staff. And I think a lot of owners see that, um, the end, I guess some people are not willing to invest into somebody, um, assuming that they were not going to last a long time. But I think that's also a problem too, is, um, there's so many people in the city, like, Kevin Dietrich put so much energy and work into training his staff. And I think with that training, with building somebody and providing them that experience and like honing them and nourishing them in such a format, you build loyalty. If you can find a bar owner or manager willing to invest in you, great. But that's not an option that's available to everybody. Your first job might not be at a place committed to fostering talent, or worse, it'll be one of those places that just says that it is. Fortunately, today, there is a better way. Because in the late 20th century, a handful of people invented a little thing called the internet. Some people that are of, like, other backgrounds may not have the luxury of having access to those things, of, like, working at a corporate bar, or just, like, being at a bar where somebody wants to train you, or having that job. And they have access to this information now again with like Diageo Bar Academy where they can sit down and learn and be like show up to an interview or even go to a bar where they like to work and talk to a bartender or bar manager about like a cocktail that they're having is like oh I like this and I've tried doing this and have you checked out this of course like a service allows but um, you can actually attract attention of people and like I've definitely been to some bars and I just usually sit down and observe and I've seen people get a job because they've been going to some place for a while and they have a knowledge and they're like, hey, I, I like your personality. It seems like you know what you're doing or like, you know, your your stuff. Why would not you come by and like, you know, train or like maybe do a few shifts with us? And I think that's magical that now that we have access to this information online and you can save this information and like find more resources. Like there's millions of books out there now. And some of them are written by people that have never worked behind a bar or worked for a spirit brand at all, which is really sad. And it's like, how do you differentiate from all this content knowing that it's somebody with credibility and knowledge and not just somebody that decided to write a bunch of essays on the topic that they looked up. Um, and, you know, again, with like Diageo Bar Academy and some of the resources that United States Bartenders Guild provides, you know that this information is coming from industry veterans or like even like new professionals, like up and coming talents that are, you know, closer to whether it's your age or your cultural background, um, you know, that have a 
diverse experience, who have worked behind the bar for years, who maybe started a network for a brand, or who are like a fifth generation bar worker in their family. Diageo Bar Academy is an online resource that allows bartenders, bar owners, and simply the curious to research a wealth of topics related to running a successful beverage program or cocktail bar, curated by real professionals with real expertise. I think it's amazing that you know that what you're learning has been tr- tested and tried and is evolving every day and there's new material showing up and people are willing to, you know, do this research and test things out and share it with the world because, you know, like the culture of the sustainable practices behind the bar, you know, you don't keep that as a secret and like, you know, go boast about it and like, you know, say that you're all that because you know how to do this. You share it with everybody so that everyone can, you know, recycle and upcycle their waste product, um, you know, whether it's using garnishes from like the, you know, infusions that you've done with the fruit um, and dehydrating that, or, you know, how you're using honey and like different types of honey in your bar, in your, as a sweetener in your bar program to save the bees. Like you want to spread that information so that as a community nationally, locally, or even internationally, you can make a positive impact on the world. And I think that's what makes it so amazing. The problem with traditional bartending schools, besides the food coloring thing, is that you generally have to pay to attend, and you have to be available at set times on set days of the week, neither of which are within everyone's capabilities, particularly in a relatively blue-collar industry like ours. For education to be truly transformative, it needs to be free, which fortunately, Diageo Bar Academy is. If the school is too expensive, people might not be as likely to go learn, and also because there's still that mindset of you learn more on the job which is true because I'm an example of that. But there's this limbo, which is probably related to like what your question is, is like, well, I learn on the job, but I need to find a job, but the job wants me to have experience, but how do I get that experience and where do I learn? Because I got to learn to get the job, but I also learn on the job. So it's like, and we're like in this cycle nonstop. So um, I really don't know. I think with USBG having these workshops and Diageo Bar Academy, there's a great combination of like, you can gather as much information as you can before you go to a workshop in person or get a job at a bar to try it. We're quite fortunate that we live in an era where these resources exist and they're available to everyone at no charge, 24-7. But that brings us to a kind of navel-gazy question at the heart of this show. There may be good, high-quality education curated by professionals available online for free, but So what? What is the point of education? It should be this thing that's accessible to everyone. And when you build an industry on just this apprentice program, it do you feel that it contributes to homogeneity? Um, The sense that if you've got a bunch of, you know, straight white guys who are picking people to be their successors based on like potential or, oh, I see something in this person. The research bears out, they're also going to pick straight white dudes. And that's, I think we can all agree that that's bad. So is is that something else that like having free, accessible online education programs can help us to fix in the world of bartending? Yes. Oh my God. Yes. I can talk about it forever because I can only speak of my experience as, um, as a woman, as a woman, and 
I have been in situations when I was still a barback and learning where um, some some people, white men in power, uh, like to seek opportunity to take advantage of people who are willing to learn um, and benefit from that. And we can get into that detail again in like a different episode with you know, <laughs> sexual harassment and all those things. There I go again with that million dollar laugh. And I think having those resources is important because nobody can say that I owe them something because they taught me something, which I'm completely flipping the script now. Education, when it's done right, is the ultimate leveler of the playing field. Give everyone the same opportunities and you'll see far more people from all walks of life succeed, not just people who look the same as the guys in charge. It's bringing the light from the few to the many. And according to Nona, if you give that light enough juice, it can reach all the way over to the other side of the bar. And I think the great part about education, um, the reason why I as a bartender love education on different topics is because I can make better suggestions for my guests, right? Uh, catering to their tastes and desires. And I think if um, anyone is interested in like the spirit enthusiasts or just people that just like spending their evening at a bar on a Friday or Saturday night, if they want to learn a little bit more about these details or like um, aspects of like what makes a great cocktail or balanced drink and like different spirit categories, if they're not familiar with it, uh, Diageo Bar Academy is great because not only does it train a professional um, industry worker, but it can educate a consumer to make better choices based on their preferences. The more high-quality learning is available online, the more we have an opportunity to ditch the old-school methods that didn't work or were only available to a select few. High-quality education is now available to people of all skill levels, from all backgrounds. It's accessible 24-7, and it's free. And the best part? There isn't a single drop of food coloring as far as the eye can see. Don't forget to subscribe to The Big Food Question wherever you get your podcasts. Check back often as we address critical questions for eaters, operators, and workers across food topics and business sectors. If you have questions you'd like the show to answer, email us at question at heritageradionetwork.org. Thanks to our guest on this show, Nona Titulari of San Francisco. The Big Food Question is produced by Katie Mosman-Wadler, Kat Johnson, Hannah Forden, Dylan Hoyer, Matt Patterson, Luke Griffin, and Jenny Dorsey. This episode's producer was me. Our theme song was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. The Big Food Question is powered by Simplecast. The content of this series is provided for general information only and should not be considered professional advice. You should obtain professional or specialist advice before taking or refraining from any action on the basis of this content. This project is funded by a Humanities New York CARES grant with support from the National Endowment for the Humanities and the Federal CARES Act. This program is also supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. The Big Food Question is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us at heritage underscore radio. Catch you next time and cheers. Cheers.